following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles uh, to Psalm 91. And um, as you're turning there, um, children are a blessing, not a burden. And so uh, we welcome the littles every fifth Sunday. And mom and dad, I know that sometimes this is kind of overwhelming to you, uh, but they were watching and they're wondering so at any point uh, today, you can stop and you can um, explain what we are doing to your uh, littles and walk them through the process. Um, we uh, at Community Gospel do not look at um, our children's or youth ministry as something that is set apart or set aside to be in another location. We incorporate them in every aspect that we possibly can in regards to our church, because they, they're not going to become the church. They are the church. And so we welcome them here today, and we're glad that uh, they are here. As you're um, opening your Bibles to Psalm 91, uh, the way that I learned how to find the book of Psalms is you take your right thumb, and then you take your left thumb, and you just go like this. I'll close my Bible. And you go into the middle, and then you open it like this. And usually you hit Proverbs. <laughs> so you have to go to the left of that. But you're close, all right? You're close. And my Sunday school teacher, her name was Kathy Willis. She taught me that trick, and I've used it uh, all the time. So Psalm 91 is where we're at today. And you're probably wondering, why are we in Psalms when we just were talking about Deuteronomy? How did we get from Deuteronomy to Psalms? Well, on the fifth Sunday, we pause our current series, and we look at a psalm together. And for some of you, you know what the book of Psalms is. For some of you, you probably don't. But the book of Psalms is a collection of lyrical poems. And there are five different books that make up one big book of the book of Psalms. So you have a collection here of little books. Psalms originally was called the teleum or praise songs in Hebrew. Uh, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. So it's important for us to understand those words sometimes. These lyrical poems were put to music and they were used in temple or corporate worship. So when the people gathered, you know, when it says in the Bible, sing songs and spiritual songs and hymns, we wonder what hymns did they have? Did they have the old rugged cross back in the New Testament? Well, no, they had these psalms, these hymns that they sang together. Psalms sometimes will say the author. Um, the black, bold, black, like uh, top part of Scripture is not inspired Scripture, but it helps us understand Scripture when we see those titles there. And sometimes you will see the author there. So, for example, Psalm 91 says, My refuge and my fortress. That's not necessarily Scripture. It's just a heading that was put there to help us. But then underneath of that, you'll usually see Scripture, which says the author. So you have like Moses wrote a Psalm. David wrote a lot of Psalms. Asaph wrote Psalms. David's son Solomon wrote Psalms. 
And we have a lot of other um, contributions, but we would call them anonymous authors, people we don't know. Uh, When we look at the book of Psalms, we realize it spans about a thousand years. So it wasn't just written at one point in time. There's a lot of contributions that come together to make up these five little books in this big book. It's not only the ancient hymnal of God's people, but each individual psalm demonstrates how we express emotion to God. Now, I know the littles are in here, and emotions aren't always bad. Emotions are good. We want to know what those emotions tell us and what we do with those emotions. Some of us are more emotional than other people. Keep your eyes up here after I say stuff like that, all right? We don't want you to like scan in the room and be like, told you, all right? That's not what we do here. When we look at the Psalms, uh, we learn how to adore the Lord, properly give Him thanks, gleam wisdom, and more. It encourages us, God's people, to praise Him for who He is, what He's done, and His Word. All right, so looking at Psalm chapter 91, we go down from that title, and we realize that there's no author that is there. So it is an anonymous Psalm. We... um, can maybe infer that this was David or Solomon. There's some language there, but this is a psalm called the Psalm of Protection or a Soldier's Song. How many of you guys know Onward Christian Soldiers Marching as to War, right? That's a good one. And then when we were little, we always do this, right? So that was fun. So this kind of is a soldier's psalm in regards to our trust and confidence in God's protection when we have seasons of danger or uncertainty. And so Derek Kinder actually said, some of its language of strongholds and shields reminds us of David, but then you also get kind of this little echo in regards to Deuteronomy chapter 32, which might hint that Moses wrote this. Regardless, it's not important for our study today. It is timeless. There's a dialogue that goes on between the psalmist and God. He expresses trust in God's protection, and then God responds with a promise of safety and security. And here we see three great assurances from the Lord. So let's look at this together. Psalm chapter 91, three assurances from the Lord. We'll start with the first two verses. By the way, the big numbers are going to be the chapter. Smaller numbers are going to be the verses. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Those are good, encouraging words. And in those words, we see the first assurance, which is God promises protection. Say it. Say, God promises protection. That's why I love Family Sundays, because the littles always do it. And littles, guess what? Sometimes your mom and dad don't, and that's a sin. Just kidding. (laughs) Look at those first two verses. You see four titles or names for God. I love these. All of these titles for God speak to His protection. In the Old Testament, we see constantly that God has multiple names. He is the living God, but He is called multiple things, which give us a little bit of assurance of who he is and what he's all about when he is our protector. The first one is Most High, Elion, a name for God who successfully levels every threat. That's my God. He levels every threat. Then we see his supreme power as sovereign ruler of this world, moving into the almighty Shaddai. 
Shaddai, the word Shaddai, is used in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, and it speaks of God being fully capable of his promises. Sometimes we don't fulfill our promises, but God always does. Every promise of God is yes and amen. He never gives a promise that he doesn't keep. You can trust his word. The fourth, or the third one, excuse me, is the Lord. Now, the Lord is an important word. It is the word Yahweh. This is the most high name of God, speaking to the fact that God is a personal God. He wants a personal relationship with his creation, his people. He is the great I am. Who do I say sends me? Tell him I am. Yahweh, the great I am. And then the psalmist says, my God, which is Elohai, which means God's strength and power, kind of bookending the first and the last. And in all of this, the psalmist is confident that God is his safety and his security. Well, I don't know about you, but I always ask then, well, what protection does God give? Well, let's look at verse 1. In verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He's talking here about a secret place. Everybody goes, shh, secret. (laughs) When we look at that, we realize that the psalmist talks about a place where anyone can dwell or live in. This is a nod from the psalmist to the sanctuary, for those of you who know your Bibles, or the temple proper. Now, since believers couldn't physically live in the temple, they could dwell or remain if they abided in God's presence. The Old Testament points to Christ who will come. The New Testament points to Christ who came. A devout believer comes to God's sanctuary in need, trusting in Him and Him alone through faith, and remains there. They are comfortable and content and confident in the relationship that they have with the living God. You can be comfortable, confident, and content in your relationship with God. That is a good thing. You can trust in Him. So the question on the table is, have you entered into the Have you come into that place where you have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ? And if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, how do I do that? There's a little white book in front of you that maybe a little has pulled out and started to color on. By the way, kids, those are not coloring books. But you can see the gospel, the good news that Christ came, died, rose again, and wants a relationship with you through faith and trust in him. If you confess your sins, the Bible says, and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Now, anyone can enter into God's secret place through faith and trust in Christ. And to abide, if you want to circle that word, in God's presence, have faith in Christ, means you enter his safety. What happens if I don't? Well, if you're on the outside of that, you welcome his wrath and embrace danger from this world and from God's judgment. Now, go to the second verse. Protection in his secret place and then protection in giving his people confidence. Sometimes we just need to have confidence, right? We just need to be confident in some things. If there's one thing that I pray often, I say, God, make me confident. All four names of God that are listed... Give the psalmist confidence, not in himself, but in his relationship that he has with God. In God's names, the psalmist finds refuge. Look at that in verse 2. I will say to the Lord, you are my 
refuge, there's the first word, and my fortress. The word refuge is the word masa, which is a shelter from danger. And fortress, masuda, is a strong protection. This is what it means to trust or stake a claim for our faith, as it's solely the Lord who does this and nobody else. There is no other place like being confident in the fact that you have a relationship with the living God. It is something that is out of this world. Dave Guzak says, the one who lives intimately with God knows the greatness of his protection. Now, we would ask, is there any biblical examples that speak to that? Well, yeah, absolutely. They're all throughout the biblical text. In the Bible, we see people constantly saying, my God, knowing of his greatness and his protection. Jacob in Genesis 32 Miriam, Exodus 15, Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, Thomas, the doubter in John chapter 20. Even Jesus says it in the New Testament in Matthew 27. Do you say, my God, have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? Do you dwell in his secret place and live under his divine protection? That's the start. That's the whole start of the first assurance is that we want to enter in to being protected by God's provision, his promise of protection. Now, let's go to verse 3. For he will deliver you from the snares of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is like a shield and a buckler. You won't fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by the day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Psalms is kind of interesting in regards to its poetic words. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand by your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is your refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. And on their hands they will bear up you, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder and the young lion and the serpent will trample underfoot. Say, whoa. That's a lot. We got to understand that. See, that's why I love the littles, because they're so interactive, right? They're so good about this stuff. The psalmist encourages himself and us by answering the question, how does God deliver us? If the second assurance from the Lord is that he gives deliverance, we would ask, how does God deliver us? Because we all know that we go through trials and tribulations and temptations and all of these things. And it feels like sometimes the rain of life is just pouring down on our house. So how does God deliver us? Well, number one, in verse three, he says he delivers us from attack. The first assurance God gives believers is the assurance of safety and security from the dangers and troubles of life that can be terrifying and destructive. Now, those things will still happen. Those things still come. But internally, while things might seem a mess on the outside, internally, we have peace that passes all understanding. Look at verse 3, the first part. God delivers us in two ways. Number one, from the snares of the fowler. This is a figure of speech for somebody who attempts somebody else's life, takes, takes a, a, a physical attack on somebody's life. 
So there's a defense against that. There's, there's a deliverance against that. The psalmist knows that. Keep it in context. And then number two, deadly pestilence. Say pestilence. I always think of pesto when I hear the word pestilence, which is totally the opposite thing. Pestilence means a destroying word or a slander. So the psalmist says that God delivers me from physical attacks and from verbal attacks. It doesn't say that believers will never be caught in this trap, but more, the Lord would provide deliverance when we're caught. Psalm 91 partners with Psalm 22 that says, He will deliver you. Now look at verse 4. I like verse 4 because it kind of talks about birds. And I kind of like birds right now. For some weird reason, I bought myself a bird feeder. And I got this cardinal, and he comes up now, and he lands on the bird feeder. And I call him Fred Bird. And Bethany thinks I'm crazy because she's like, what are you doing? You're turning into that guy. And I'm like, but that guy's so fun. That guy's so fun. I had a different bird feeder and no birds came there. So I got a different bird feeder and now I got one. So super excited. I also believe that you should be able to feed birds with your hand. But some people in our congregation said that's not, that's not smart. I disagree. I think I'm gonna, it's one of my life goals now. <clears throat> anyway, God covers people with his pinions. That's a bird reference. The pinions, if you want to circle that, is the outer parts of a bird's feather. We have these crazy things in our Bible. They're called zoomorphisms. Say zoomorphism. Zoomorphisms are crazy because what it does is it attributes animal characteristics to God so that we would understand him a little bit better. So we have a zoomorphism right here in the text. Uh, Zoomorphisms are in Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 17, Psalm 63. And what the psalmist is saying here is he's saying, "If, if you are under the cover of the Lord... If you are protected by his pinions, you find refuge there. It is good. It is like a a little bird being underneath a a mama bird's wing. It's like the littles in this room today when parents put their arms around them. They're protecting them. They feel comfort and safety when those things happen. Now look at the other word there. It says his faithfulness. This is verse 4. It says that God shows his faithfulness by his word, which are a shield and a buckler. Now, the word buckler is a military term for small or large shields that gave protection and security. So God protects his own like the birds in the sky. Now, that sounds familiar, right? Jesus talks about this in the New Testament text when he says, God loves you so much. If he provides for the birds of the air, won't he provide for your needs? Won't he cover your needs? And here, the psalmist says... That God's faithfulness is a guaranteed, it's a shield of divine protection. Now, if you want to, look on the screen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, Because of these things, do not be afraid of those who want to do physical harm to you. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both your soul and your body in hell. Whoa! I didn't know you could use those words in adult church, but we do sometimes. And when we look at those things, we realize that God is our protector. He is our provider. He is our deliverer and somebody who we come behind so that we feel protected. Now look at verse 5. This is a big one. It says that he delivers us from our fears. Now just show of hands, all right? Littles, I know you're in here today. Uh, Mom and dad, you help out too as well. How many of you have ever been afraid? 
Anybody ever been afraid? I tell you what, I'm afraid all the time. I just, it's just how it goes, right? It's part of being an adult. The psalmist answers the question before it's asked, what if I'm afraid? Well, we may be afraid. Guess what? God never is. Say, God's never afraid. Oh, I don't believe you believe it. Say, God's never afraid. He doesn't fear, look at verse 5, the terror of night or the arrow that flies by the day. He doesn't fear the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. He doesn't fear destruction that wastes at noonday. All of those are references to the times of day that attacks could come. There's the morning, there's the midday, there's the afternoon, there's the evening. All of those things God is not afraid of. He doesn't fear people or when things attack. He doesn't fear epidemics. He doesn't fear plagues. He doesn't fear tornadoes. He doesn't fear hurricanes. He doesn't fear anything. The psalmist says a thousand, even 10,000 might fall around the Lord, but it will not come near us. Now, I love when the Bible head nods to things that already passed over. And I say that because something passed over in verse 7. And in verse 7, you see that it is a reminder of the death of the firstborn in Egypt. Now, I talked about Kathy Willis. She was my Sunday school teacher, and she used to teach out of felt boards. Raise your hand if you know what a felt board is. I'm telling you what, those felt boards, they were good, but sometimes they lied, right? David and Bathsheba, anyone? We didn't get all those details. Sometimes you don't need all the details, all right? And in the felt boards, Kathy Willis showed us of those in the Old Testament who trusted God's word, applied blood, and were spared, but others died. The Old Testament teaches us God often brings many things, plagues, terrors, traps, all those to nations because of disobedience. But those who make the Lord their refuge, and prayerfully not just people do this, but nations do this, when we make God our refuge, we have nothing to be afraid of. Believers are safe in the Lord because we're armed with God's protection. The great apostle Paul, said that even though they might cause me physical harm, I do not need to be afraid because absent from the body would mean that I am present with Christ. Now, the psalmist is not saying that believers will have trouble-free lives, but in a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, you do not have to fear terrifying things. You do not have to fear judgment. You do not have to fear wickedness. John chapter 14, verse 27. Look at the screen. Look what this says. Peace, I leave you. I have a relationship with the living God who gives me peace. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world does. God gives us a peace that passes all understanding. It's out of this world. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. The Bible tells us not to be afraid 365 times, one for each day of the year. And here we see that God delivers us from our fear. you got to trust him. Now, I love verse 9 through 13 because I think this is cool. It speaks to the spiritual realms that we cannot see. It says that God also delivers us through angelic intervention. Say, so, whoa. How many of you guys think angels are kind of cool? All right, littles, I'm going to blow up your world. Here we go. Angels do not have two wings. Just, just, nope, not in the Bible. As a matter of fact, they got like 17,000 eyes and they're kind of awkward and weird and ugly, right? Kind of like a junior hire. <clears throat> Both those who come to personally trust Christ, look at this in verse 9. You have made the Lord your dwelling place, as well as the psalmist, the most high in refuge. 
I do not know evil or plagues. They don't come near the tents of the righteous. Now, verse 11 is the good one. Underline this. He commanded his angels. What in the world is an angel? What, is that? what do they do? Angels do some crazy stuff. Ready for this? I'm going to show you. Number one, they are God's guardians of worldly government. The angels are watching out for our government. Thank God. Mom and dad say amen. All right. Number two, they help prosper the righteous and they watch over the faithful. Now, my mom used to tell me that I put about four angels out of business and into an early retirement. And I don't know if we have guardian angels. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about guardian angels. It doesn't talk about them, but I think I need at least 20, all right? I don't want one. I want like 20, all right? And here we realize that God does appoint angels to watch over the faithful. In Psalm 91:11, God appointed or charged his angels to protect the righteous in all their ways, wherever they go, whatever they do, how they live. Now note, angels are sent where they're needed, but they're not to serve your selfish advantage. So you can't pray that God would send angels to have you have some health, wealth, and prosperity. It doesn't work like that, okay? But let me tell you how this works in our world. Every night before we go to bed, my wife and my two girls, we pray, Heavenly Father, would you please send your angels to surround and protect our home? On Sunday morning, before we gather for service, we ask that God would send his army of angels to surround our church where we're gathered here today. It's amazing. We can pray. We don't pray to angels, but we can pray for angelic intervention. That's awesome. And it's encouraging. We can ask God for divine help from physical harm and strengthen us to help overcome difficulties. Now, pictured here, look at that very last part, verse 12 and 13. In the psalm, you got some wild lions and dangerous snakes. And you remember, when you're discouraged, Christ is called the serpent crusher. Isn't that cool? He steps on the serpent's head. And when Christ overcame Satan, Matthew chapter 4 is a quotation of Psalm chapter 91. It shows that God's marvelous promises can be applied to every facet of life. Now, some of you are a little older and you remember the song Victory in Jesus. You remember that psalm? You know, uh, it's not a psalm, it's a song. But it says, Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. So there's some truths that we got. Okay, we got two of them. We need one more, all right? And I know the littles have uh, their own little sermon outline. They get a piece of candy if they fill out the whole thing. I think we should implement this in uh, regular services, just saying, all right? Throwing out some candy. Look at verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. And when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The third thing, the third assurance is that God shows up to show his presence and care in your life. God shows up to show his presence and care in his life. The last couple of verses are going to give three divine promises to you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Number one, God in his love for us holds fast to us as believers in his love, giving, deliverance, and, and uh, protection. 
We love the song in, in our house, He will hold me fast, He will hold me fast, for I know my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. He knows my name. Verse 14. You know there's nothing sweeter on planet earth than hearing your name. There's nothing sweeter than hearing your name said because it proves that somebody knows your name and is speaking directly to you. Do you know God does that to you all the time? He knows your name. He's speaking to you these promises as his child when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Number two, God is not unaware of our call in times of trouble. Whatever problem you're facing right now in this earth, God is not unaware of what's going on. You do not pray and say, God, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is what's happening and transpiring. He's not caught off guard. You can never catch God off guard. He is not unaware of the trouble in your life. And then the third one, God makes our salvation known. We call this manifestation through obedience, giving long, eternal life when we put our faith and trust in Christ. You know, this reminds me, this, these, these last couple of verses, um, there was a tornado that, that ripped through uh, Moore, Oklahoma in 2013. And I'm reminded of this because it's tornado season in Indiana, right? We have snow season, we got tornado season, we got rain season, then we got one day of sunshine. <laughs> and in this, uh, in this uh, tornado that ripped through Oklahoma, it was interesting. One family realized what was going on, and they went to the safest place in their home. Do you know what it is? They went to the bathroom. Somebody knows what's going on. There's the safest place in the world, right? Just, just lead me to the bathroom. And as they were in the bathroom, they were praying, and the storm passed. And as the storm passed, they came out. They realized the whole entire house had been taken, but the bathroom wasn't. Now, when it rains next time, all you parents are going to call me, and you'll be like, Jordan, all, my kids are all in the bathroom, <laughs> right? They heard what you said. But what was interesting is that was the place that provided safety in the midst of the storm. Just as that family found refuge in the bathroom, we find refuge in God's protection when we trust in him. And I'm reminded of the song, Shelter in the Time of Storm. Do you guys know that one? It's a little kid's song, but I love it. It says, the Lord is our rock, in him we hide a shelter in the time of storm. Matter of fact, I'll let you say the second line, because it's always the same. The Lord is our rock, in him we hide, a shelter in the time of storm. Shelter whatever ill be tied, a Oh, Jesus is a rock in the weary land. Now, here's the fun part. It says, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. He is a A shade by day, defense by night. He is a now, littles, listen to your parents say this like they think they know what's going on. A shelter in the time of storm. A shelter in the time. I thought we loved Jesus, mom and dad. I thought we, we clinged to him, right? I thought he knows our name. And this is how we talk. Can I have a cookie? That's how you're talking right now. It says, no fears alarm, no foes affright. He is a... The raging storms may round us best. He is a will never leave our safe retreat because he is a O rock divine, O refuge dear, he is our be thou our helper ever near. Last time he is our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're our shelter in the time of storm. 
You're our great deliverer. You're our comforter. You are our king of kings, our prince of peace. You tell us that we do not have to be afraid. For those who are here today that do not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would come to know you and trust in you. That they would confess their sins and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Same for the littles that are here too as well. For those of us who know you as Savior, we sometimes put our trust in the things of this world and we ask for your forgiveness, God. Would you help us to cling to you and your truths and your promises? We've been talking about so many of these things in the book of Deuteronomy. We've been talking about so many of these things in regards to the New Testament text. There's all of these promises that are there for us that no matter what comes our way, you are our help. You're our provider. And so we willingly, humbly come underneath of you, our sole authority, and ask that you would conform us to the image of Christ and that we would rely and trust on you in you to not go over things, not go under things, but to go through them and realize that there is a blessing that comes because you walk with us, you talk to us, you know our name, and you tell us in your word that you will never leave us or forsake us, and we thank you for that. May we rest in the truth that we have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ. Thank you for being our heavenly Father. It's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.